0: I think that's the one two can you hear me now ooh I think it's a bad connection now. glory but um, again really I uh, I am again humbled by by your kindness your expressions of love and uh, your caring and this assembly has been so good to us Uh, we've been here going on 20 years now and uh, your love is uh, is unsurpassed we deeply appreciate all your expressions of love and caring And I deeply appreciate the labors of my pastoral staff and all the departmental staff and all of you who have anything to do with the ministry of this church. This is not a one-man show, one-person show. This is all of us. And uh, we would not be able to function without any of you. And some of the the parts, like the body, as the Bible describes it, Some of them are more pronounced, some are more visible, and others are not so much seen at all, but yet they are vital to the existence of the body. You can't see my heart, my kidneys, my stomach, or anything else. It's it's out of sight, but I guarantee you it's there, and if it's not functioning, you'd know it. Same thing in your body. And it's the same way with the church body. We all have a function. We have a purpose, a plan, and giftings that God places us in the body for us to fulfill our purpose and to utilize our gifting. And the the, the time that, that that gifting is really worth the most is when it's in the context of the whole. The heart by itself is nothing. It's only when it's in the body Working together with everyone else. No matter how important. The brain, as important as it is, is nothing by itself. Unless it's in the context of the body. And your gifting in mind is nothing by itself. Except within the context of the body. And God intended for us to be this way. To be interdependent and connected to one another. And so the scripture says it this way. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body. Amen. We're part of the body of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And again, as we do our functions, some are more visible. Others are more invisible or rather not visible. But you're just as vital and just as important. And we want to acknowledge that as, that as well. Amen. I wish that we could give this kind of a, a blessing to everyone in here, all that you have done throughout the years. Um, and I just, I'm just humbled again and thankful that That you have honored my wife and I. Indeed, my wife is a precious, precious commodity. Amen. Hallelujah. I couldn't do it without her. She's such a blessing to me. And uh, I thank God for her every day. And I thank the Lord for all that, uh, that he has done for me through her. Praise God. Now, I noticed that big box of candy. Oh, hallelujah. Now, you know, I invest in children with suckers after church. And I noticed all that candy and you know, Snickers and peanuts and, I don't know what he called it, m M&M and peanuts, all those kind of things. Now, you know what the scripture says, given it shall be given. <laughs> Press down, good measure. Hallelujah. And look what I got from Kismet. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, we're abundant. <laughs> Amen. I tell you what, you cannot give God enough. And uh, it comes back to you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. And so, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, you know, you know how valuable these things are. I'm so glad that, you know, well, let's put it this way: I wear them when I have to. When I go to a store. Go to Schnooks or something, you know. I put them on until the last minute. I wait till I get to the last minute. I go and get in the door, I put them on. I'm not going to wear this thing out there in the open public, you know. I want to breathe the fresh air. Besides, my glasses fog up, you know. So I wait until the last minute. And this last week, a few days ago, I went to Schnooks with my wife. We we're just getting some food and different preparatory stuff. And um, in any case, uh, I came out of the store. We came out of the store, and I was ever so glad to get this thing off. You know these things are elastic. Put them like this. And the terrible thing is, I had, I had my hearing aids on, right? I take them off with this because I got so much paraphernalia to put on. You know, I just don't wear everything at the same time. So, I was so glad. I got out of the store. I was just close to the car, and I yanked this thing off, and it just went went like that. And I didn't realize that my hearing aid was attached, and that thing just went. You know <laughs> The only problem was, brothers, we didn't know where it was. <laughs> and, and I got that from the VA. I know they told me it's a very expensive piece of item, and he will not replace it. They said anywhere from six to eight, thousand dollars for both of those things. Needless to say, I was treading lightly, and we were close to the car, and, and, and I was hoping he didn't go out into the track where cars are going by. And their car going by. And I said, oh, dear God, don't let somebody run over that thing. And then pretty soon as we're standing there looking around, we had one couple come through, and they said, what, what, what's, what are you looking for? And I told them, you know, Then another couple came. What, what are you looking for? Another couple came. We, look, we had about eight or nine people looking for my hearing aids <laughs> in the parking lot. You know, and and finally, one young lady came and she was even just on the other side of the aisle of the, of the cars. And she looked, What are you looking for? I told him. You know, she said, There it is right there. She could see because it, it looked like a leaf because of the leaves everywhere, too, and everything. And she found that out. I was so thankful. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? But I'll tell you, I learned the value this now because I realized, you know what? Did you ever hear David and Goliath? man this this thing is a dangerous weapon so praise the lord this thing has a use for other things besides just protecting you from covid mm, hallelujah well anyway that's 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 life praise god well, let me thank everyone once again for uh helping out yesterday uh at the funeral thank you for binding together you have been superb and uh, thank you to everyone for all that you have done uh, making it happen. I don't want to begin to name names because I'll leave somebody out, and I don't want to offend anyone. Amen. So if you'd be kind enough to stand with me one more time, I just want to read two portions of scriptures to you. I hope I can remember to keep my microphone close because I usually depend on that little earpiece. Hallelujah. I have to learn how to be old-fashioned Pentecostal preacher. Amen. Without a microphone. No. Proverbs chapter eleven, verse seventeen, and Matthew five, seven go hand in hand. Proverbs eleven, seventeen. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, and he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. But he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Along with that, with uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are, present tense. You're merciful now. They shall, future, obtain mercy. Let's pray. Lord, Father, Almighty God in heaven, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made, and we are glad in it. We rejoice in it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you touch each and every one of us here today. Give me strength. Let your anointing spirit flow through me. Let your love and your mercy and your goodness flow through each and every one of us here today as we acknowledge you and give you praise and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Everybody say amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, when we look at the Old Testament, and we think about God, we, I think we have a distorted view of God of being this angry person someone who's full of wrath, someone who's very harsh and judgmental. But if you look a little deeper, such as Proverbs 11:17, uh you'll see that God is very much a defender of the poor and the widows and the orphans and the disenfranchised, if you please. And then we have really sometimes an equally distorted view of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And people have this distortion thinking that the God of the New Testament of Jesus is, is God of love and peace and tolerance, live and let live, and, and one of, of, of an easy kind of a love mentality. You know, it's what the hippie age characterized, yeah. Peace, man, peace, you know, love, just love you, you know. You do whatever you want, you're all, you're all right. But the truth is that God of both testaments is a God who at his core nature is indeed holiness, but also a God of love and of mercy and forgiveness. It's his holiness that dictates his, his relationships with everything in his creation. His purity, is his, his purity and morally, uh, that which cannot tolerate anything that is impure. So this is why the rules that he established are so important and they're not arbitrary. They're, they're established by him for us based on his own nature that he cannot change. But fortunately, we can change. And he helps us to change, to accommodate his nature. He will never change to accommodate ours. He will never become a sinner to be just like us. He became human, but not a sinner. The Bible says he was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin, but at his very core, he is holy. And all the rules that, that, he, that he's ever established, the Old and New Testament, has to do with, with, with his nature that he cannot violate. And so the rules he laid down and even the, the, the method of salvation and how we approach him and come to him, it's all about his holiness. But all of that is tempered by his love. God is a God of love, and he is a God of mercy and of forgiveness. Now, it's interesting if you think back on the Old Testament, as, as harsh as you might picture God to be back in the old days. As you recall, when God led and delivered Israel out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, and he brought them through Sinai, and he took them uh, to this area, the Mount Sinai, where Moses went up, and God gave him the Ten Commandments and the commandments whereby his people should live hereafter in the promised land. And we know that the Old Testament is, is our schoolmaster to teach us all about the New Testament to come and about the coming of Christ. It's, it's to give us context about the seriousness of sin and the remedy for it, the shedding of blood. And so in, 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 in his time with, with God in the, Mo, in, in the mountain of, of God in Sinai, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and all these other commandments that the people had to obey. But at the same time that he gave the commandments, on one hand, on the other arm, you know what he gave? He gave him a pattern for the tabernacle of the wilderness. And the tabernacle of the wilderness is important because, you see, it taught Israel how to approach this holy God. And it was based upon blood sacrifices. And it was a precedent to the New Testament, the coming of the Lamb who taketh away the sin of the world. And that's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So in the Old Testament, we see all this. We see on one hand, we see the law. And yet we know that God in his providence knew that man could not keep the law. And the only way that man could have a lasting relationship with God despite of the fact that they would violate the law is to somehow extend mercy to them and that would be through the shed blood. Hallelujah. And that's why God gave the plan of the tabernacle at the same time. On one hand, you have the law that you got to keep, but you can't keep because you're weak. Hallelujah. The, The heart is willing, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But on the other hand, amen, God's got to deal with our sin because he's holy. And so he provided the tabernacle plan. You see how merciful and loving God is? It's not just about a rule. It's also about providing a means for breaking and violating that rule. Uh, it's approaching God uh, despite of ourselves. Uh, hallelujah. And God deals with our sin in a way that would accommodate his righteousness. Because his righteous holy self looks on our sin and doesn't really look on us with much kindness at all. But his love tempers that anger. Amen. In every way that he relates to us. And it was his love that came up with the idea again of the... the the, the ark uh, and the covenant and the tabernacle in the, in, in the wilderness. Now, it's interesting. You go to Exodus chapter 25, and even as God gave the plan to the tabernacle, the very first furniture item that God gave Moses the plan to was the ark. And as you know, in the ark was later placed the cup of manna, uh, the Aaron's rod that, bothered, uh, that buttered the two tent tables of stone, the Ten Commandments inside of the ark. And, uh, and on top of that was the golden, uh, what's called mercy seat. There's two angels facing each other, you know, solid gold. Uh, and, and these two angelic beings faced one another as they were looking into the ark. Amen. And God called that the mercy seat. And every year as the high priest, as Hebrews call it today, Yom Kippur, around October every year, they go in there. In the old days when they had the temple and the tabernacle, they take the blood of that unblemished lamb and they go into the holiest of holies and sprinkle the top of this ark, the mercy seat, with blood. And all of the nation of Israel was fasting and praying for the entire week leading up to that day. And on that day in the Old Testament, when it first began in the wilderness, the glory of God would descend upon that tabernacle. And the people would see for miles around because all the tents, you're talking about a million and a half to two and a half million people with men, women, and children standing in the entranceway to their tents, looking to the tabernacle. And they knew that the priest was entering in and that he would be sprinkling the blood of that lamb on that ark, the mercy seat, and the glory of God would descend. Why is that important? I'll tell you why, because God told Moses in in Exodus 25 that it's from there that I will commune with thee. I will commune with thee from the position of mercy. A position of mercy and not of judgment and of rash, harshness. It's not about condemnation. I'm going to commune or talk with you and have a relationship with you through mercy. Do you understand that even today, the relationship we have with Jesus Christ is only because of his mercy towards you and I? Hallelujah. And mercy is what God does best and rejoices in. Hallelujah. God's holiness indeed predicates all of his commandments towards us, which is based on his his holy nature. But all of his actions are motivated by his core attribute of love for us. See, 1 John 4 8 says, He that loveth not, he's talking to the church, he that doesn't love, he that has a hard time loving people, knoweth not God, for God is love you have a hard time loving people, you don't have enough of God inside of you. The Bible said the love of God is shed abroad on our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We need a love for one another. And that love, that agape, unconditional love really comes through the aid and assistance of God. This is why this Holy Spirit living inside of us is so important and to be full of that Spirit. Amen. See, even God's temper His anger is tempered by his love. And from his love flows his goodness and kindness and mercy and forgiveness. And this is why 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. Listen to Lamentations 3.22 in the Old Testament. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassion, compassions, plural, fail not. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. You know why I'm here today, 45 years of walking with God? It's not because I'm so smart. It's not because I'm so talented. It's not because I'm so good. I'm here because of the mercies of God. Because every time I messed up and fell on my face, God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness reached out to me. And the only reason you and I are here today is not because we're so good and accomplished. We are here because of the love of God that draws us. Because of compassion and mercy and forgiveness. Hallelujah. That's our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say what? That his mercy endureth forever and ever. His mercy endureth forever and ever. We ought to rejoice in the mercy of God. And understand how important it is for his keeping power to be active in our life. Day in and day out. Year after year. Amen. If it wasn't for the mercies of God. Oh hallelujah. We wouldn't be here. And neither would you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now notice that it says, uh, his mercy endureth forever. Let me just interject this. That doesn't mean that his mercy is eternal. It's a difference between lasting forever and, and being eternal. Lasting forever means it lasts as long as there's a need for it. Because after this is all over and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And all the saved are in heaven, and all the condemned are in hell. There will be no more need for mercy. Because there will be no one who needs it. So his mercy endureth forever, but is not eternal. I want to make sure that you know the difference between that two. Hallelujah. But while we're still alive... Why? We are still alive and kicking. We have a need and we can have God's mercy if we choose it. Now, I'm here to tell you today, if you have not experienced God's mercy, if you need God's mercy today, you can have it. Amen. Don't wait until after you draw your last breath. Uh, it'll be too late. The Bible says it's appointed for man to die at what once and then judgment. You go from death, amen, to wherever you go. Hallelujah. It's that judgment. Uh, amen. There's no more room for repentance, no more time for mercy after that. The time for all that has passed after you drew your last breath. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalms 124, 1 and 4. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, listen to that. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, and he repeats it in verse 2. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over us So, If the Lord wouldn't have been on our side, we would have been swallowed up. We would have drowned, amen, But all the trouble and all the things that come against us in life, whether it's sickness or people or enemies, hallelujah, people who mean to do us harm, amen. If God hadn't intervened, if it had not been for his mercies, amen, if God wasn't on our side, I want somebody to know today that God is on your side. Amen. You may not feel like it. You may feel like God is kicking you down. He's not. He is on your side. Oh, hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, tell them, I'm glad God's on my side. Hallelujah. We can all say that God is on my side. No matter who or what afflicts you, the Lord is with us and the Lord is for us. So, with all this mercy that you and I have experienced, we have to ask the question what is a proper response? What is our part in responding to God's mercy and His love? And the New Testament has the answer, obviously, from Matthew 5 7. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. For those of us that have experienced so much of God's mercies, it is up to us to extend that mercy more than ever before to others. God just doesn't want you and I to be, you know, uh, focused on mercy for us, He doesn't want to be just merciful to me, but also through me. We're not to be just objects of God's mercy, but we are to be conduits of God's mercy. Oh, yes, we need need mercy. Yes, we are objects of his mercy, but above that and more than that, God expects us to let mercy flow through us to an unloved world. God loves them, but he needs to love them through us and to be merciful to them through us. And if I'm merciful in my present tense, then I'm going to receive mercy in my future. That's the promise of Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are, right now, the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And when you do that, you're doing good to your own soul. Whenever you're merciful, whenever you extend mercy to somebody else, you're really doing good for yourself. The mercy of God in the future, is for myself. You want to do good to your own soul? Be merciful. Show mercy to others. Be a conduit of mercy to somebody else. And if I refuse to show mercy to someone in my present, then really I'm cutting myself off from mercy being released to me in the future. And the scripture is quite clear on that. I want to... Take a few minutes and focus your attention to the to the book of Luke, chapter 6. Uh, there's a verse in here, verse 38. I quoted already this morning with respect to candy. Give, and it shall be given. Good measure. Press down. Hallelujah. I'm going to read that again. But I want us to realize that... that so many times we use that in a monetary sense, you know, in giving unto the Lord. And it's true. It is a, it's a spiritual principle. You cannot give God. And, and when, you, when you invest in his kingdom, when you sacrifice to him, he opens up the window of heaven. Amen. Malachi 311, you know, and pours out a blessing that you cannot contain. That's for tithes and offerings. But in the context of, of Luke chapter 6, now, verse 38 takes on a whole new meaning when you begin to look at the preceding verses, and that's what I want to bring your attention to. Okay, so uh, so while we're looking at at, at Luke six, it's, Luke six is kind of uh, similar to uh, to to a it's a synopsis of what Jesus you know had on the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter five. Six and seven, the Sermon on the Mount. And and that sermon basically addresses our daily affairs with other people that we encounter. It's our personal relationships. It's how we should deal with one another, how we should relate to one another. Okay, so keep that in mind as we're looking at these segments of Scripture, chapter 6, verse 21 onward. It's like that too, verse 20 onward. Uh, But in verse 35, he's talking to to his, his potential followers and disciples, and he says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Listen to the scriptures that follows, all in the same context. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. And then he says... Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet without, it shall be measured to you again. So when it's talking about, about giving here, it's nothing to do about money. It's talking about judgment and mercy and condemnation. It's judge not, condemn not. But give forgiveness, give mercy, hallelujah. Then you will receive an abundance of all that you have given. So he says when you conduct your daily affairs and your, your, your personal relationships in your family, in your home, in your business, in church, hallelujah. Be careful, amen. Judge not. Don't condemn somebody. Don't prejudge them but extend to them a great deal of mercy. Why? Because you and I have received so much of it ourselves. in the kingdom of Jesus, we have a pattern for the way that we should give mercy to others. We should be merciful in the same way that God has been merciful to you and I. And that's a lot of mercy, you know? And it would require you and I to give more mercy to others rather than less. And unfortunately, too often, we give a whole lot less mercy to others than what we have received ourselves from the Lord. And that's what the Scripture is warning us against. Don't forget how merciful God has been to you and I. So extend that mercy to others. Now, I will say this. As Jesus warned us against passing judgment upon others, uh, we have to be careful because he said, You know, with whatever way we judge, we're going to be judged in a similar manner. Now, this scripture that Jesus quotes that says, You know, judge not, condemn not, is really a popular scripture among people who really don't know anything about the Bible. Right. Amen. There's a lot of people out there that don't know anything about the Bible. They'll know that verse right there Don't judge me. Amen. They don't know the context. They don't know what Jesus was trying to say. They can quote it, but they don't understand what Jesus said. And I think they seem to hope and think that Jesus just commanded a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or teaching. And that's not at all. Because a few verses later in this very same chapter, in verses 43 through 45, Jesus commanded us, uh, to 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 know ourselves and and know other people by examining the fruit of their life. And this requires some kind of assessment. You've got to call, make a judgment call about their fruit to know who they represent or what they represent. And so, Christians are. Let me clarify: I, I, Are we really called? To show unconditional love. But we're not called to show unconditional approval. As Christians, we're called to unconditional love. But we are not called to unconditional approval. Yes, you can love somebody who, whose labors, whose work we cannot condone or approve. And I think. A lot of people in the world find that objectionable. They think that we're hateful just because we don't approve of what they do. No. I can love you, but I don't have to approve what you're doing. In fact, parents do the same thing with their kids. We love our kids, but I hate some of the things that they do sometimes. Don't you? Amen. And so we have to treat it. We can't approve or condone it. And uh, and God is the same way with us. And so, so we... Really can love people who do things that uh, should not be approved of. So while this doesn't prohibit us from examining the lives of other people, it certainly does prohibit us from doing it in the wrong spirit, and that's important too. See, we have an example like Judas. Remember when when uh, Mary in her alabaster box and she came and anointed Jesus' his body and and wept on his feet and and wiped his feet off with, with with her hair. And and Judas, when, when he saw the oil being, the box being uh, broken, uh, the alabaster box, very expensive oil, very expensive, he felt it was a waste. And inside his heart he said, what a waste. We could have spent that or sold that and, and used the money to feed the poor. And of course, the scripture embraced Judas for that because, you know, This woman was doing it for my anointing, for my death, amen. And you don't understand the value of what's happening over here but your attitude is condemning her. You're prejudging her. You don't understand what happened to her. You don't understand how many devils I cast out of her. You don't understand what kind of a background she had. You don't understand how merciful I was to her. And you don't understand what my mercy had done in her life. Amen. You're prejudging her. All you're looking at it is the outside. All you think. And there's a woman who had, who had lived a, a harlot's life. And, if, and, and Simon even uh, the Pharisees sitting with him around the table said, if Jesus was that kind of a prophet, and if he really knew who she was, he wouldn't even allow him to touch him, allow her to touch him. But see, that's the kind of harshness that God doesn't want us to exercise over people, to make those those kind of judgments without really knowing the full story. So we can violate this principle of God, and, and the judging is sometimes we do that when we think the worst of others. We violate this principle when we only speak and address to other people's faults and nothing else. You never say anything good about them. It's only their faults that you bring up. Parents, I admonish you. Don't always address your kid uh, only when they're doing something wrong. Make sure you encourage them even when they're doing right, especially when they're doing right. Reinforce that goodness. But we can judge an entire life Only by its worst moments. And if we do, we're making a big mistake. We're prejudging someone. Don't judge a person's entire life by a few mistakes that they have made. We violate this principle when we judge others without considering our own selves being in those same circumstances. And then we violate this principle when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged in the same manner. And yet we're so quick to be critical. So quick to be judgmental and to condemn somebody. And some of us just enjoy being critical and condemning. Because it makes us feel so good. Makes us feel better than they are. Or makes us feel better than we are. It's a false measure. And the bottom line is that, yes, we cannot outgive God. At the same time, we, we are never losers when we give lavishly of mercy and love and forgiveness after God's measure of generosity. If you do it like God does, if you're generous with your mercy to others as God is towards us, you will never be a loser. It will always be to your gain. That's what the scripture says, in fact, in verse 38. And when you give, it shall be given. It says, shall men give unto your bosom. You know, in the Old Testament, the the men had a girdle. Men and women it, it had a robe, and you had like a belt, a girdle. And you could pull that robe up, and as you pull it up with the belt around you, it created this overgrown-sized pocket. And you could carry stuff in it. And whenever somebody gave you something, you don't have any pockets. Well, that's what they did. Pull the robe up, you know, create a pocket right there. You could carry a loaf of bread. You could carry a fish. Whew. Whatever, you know, you can, you can put in your, in your old supper. And this is what Jesus was talking about, that when you give, good measure pressed down. It's the same way that people will give back to you right into your bosom that you can carry out. That mercy, that love, that forgiveness. Hallelujah. That's what God wants to do for us and expects us to do the same with others. Then he makes the statement, for with the same measure that you meet with all shall be measured to you. Now You know, in Jesus' day, the rabbis had this teaching that there were two measures by which God measured you. One was the measure of justice. Another one was the measure of mercy. And whichever measure you used... The most is the one that God will use to measure you. And so when Jesus applied this verse in the context of mercy and forgiveness and non judgmentalism, he said, Beware that for with whatever measure you use, whether you have to just justice without mercy, that's what you're going to get. Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But, oh, woe is the judgmental, for that's exactly what you're going to get. In fact, James 2.13 says that. I'm jumping ahead. I don't want to show that yet, Sister Ruth. I want to come back to that at the end. Praise God. For with whatever measure you give, it's the same measure that's going to be measured to you again. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but it's not worth to condemn and judge somebody unfairly that's the problem we see we too often we judge and condemn unfairly that's what god is against it's us coming up with these rash critical judgments on the spur of the moment without considering the facts, without looking at the facts deeper, and without looking at the context, putting ourselves in their shoes, exercising compassion, and doing the kind of things that God does for us. Hallelujah. It's amazing. I read in the Psalms when when, when, when the Bible talks about how that, that, that he, he, he could have wiped Israel out for all of their disobedience, their temptations, and their rebelliousness. God could have wiped them out, but he said, but he considered that we are but flesh, a vapor that is here and it's gone. You see what he did? He, God himself puts himself in our shoes. And his compassion, he's merciful because he says, eh, well, you know, they're just flesh. What else can I expect from them? They're not me. They're not God. They're just specters of humanity. But I'm going to be merciful to them because without my mercy, they cannot last. They cannot survive. Oh, we need the mercy of God. We just lift your hands and thank God for his mercy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercy, your love, your compassion, your forgiveness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I just have two instances I want to bring to you and to emphasize this point. And that is, of course, Matthew chapter 18. You know, where Jesus was uh, was asked by Peter, in fact, how often should he his brother sin against him and forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, no. So i send to you seven times seven, but 70 times seven. It basically means infinite amount of mercy. And to that effect, Jesus gives a, a, a parable. And he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. This about almost $53 million on our day. There's no way he could repay. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. You know what that means? He commanded him to be sold. Now, he commanded the servant to sell himself because under the New Testament law, you can have all your land confiscated by the debtor and they could use that for up to 50 years until the year of Jubilee or until the day that the high priest died. Amen. And all the proceeds that that land produced, uh, animals, grain, crops, whatever, amen, would go to pay off the debt that this man owed. Uh, But after 50 years, it would go back to the children and back to the family, amen, no matter what was left on the account. Hallelujah. It's just to assure, to make sure that, that, that the people of God uh, don't always end up in poverty but there's a way out and the way out of poverty is to hold land because when you got land you can grow your corn and your pigs and your chickens and get your eggs and you can get your goats and get your milk and your butter and everything you need and so Jesus told the story according to Old Testament law That this king said, you owe me too much. You'll never pay off. Sell yourself. I want you and your wife to go to work. I want to take your land. I'm going to use everything you've got to pay back this debt. And as a result of that, you know what the servant did? Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. $53 $53 million. Whew. Hallelujah. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, about 50 bucks. Found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Pay me that you owe me. And the fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. But he would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry or grieved. And they came and told their Lord, the king, all that was done. Complained to the king. You see the parallels here? And the Lord and his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And Jesus ends this story by saying this. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother. And you could include sister. Don't be so narrow. Forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Folks, mercy is serious business with God. We're here because of God's mercy. And I don't know how people have hurt you or or harmed you or, or offended you. The more mercy you can show them, the greater, is your, greater your reward in heaven. Jesus said so. When men revile you and hurt you, amen, exercise mercy. Because so if you don't, you're not going to get mercy yourself. It's the way it is. You're shutting yourself off. Because so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother trespasses. Some of you may have trouble in mercy and forgiving others. I would implore you to fast and to pray until you have a breaking of that spirit. That you come and seek God with everything you have because you're cutting your own throat. You're cutting yourself off from God and his mercy to you. Mercy. Mercy. Oh, I need God's mercy. Would you just lift your hands one more time? Say, Lord Jesus, we need your mercy. Oh, Shondoro I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel the Lord speaking to hearts here today. Do not harden your heart when the word of the Lord is speaking to you. Because the more you harden your heart, the harder your heart will become. And the more difficult it will be for you to find mercy, especially in a time of need. I just have one more example to to share with you before I close, and it comes from Joshua chapter two. Beautiful story. I think you know the story as well was when Israel's now, well, out from Egypt, from being slaves. They have spent forty years in the wilderness. Moses is gone, he's dead. Joshua is the next man in command, the general who led the armies in defense even through those 40 years, and he was the next leader chosen by God to lead his people Israel into the promised land and to divide the land according to God's word. And as they came across the River Jordan, the very first city they encountered was the city of Jericho, the first of 10 mighty cities that had to fall before they could occupy the the land of Canaan that God gave to Israel. And Joshua sent out two spies to check out the city of Jericho. And they went in during the day and people obviously saw them and they saw that they were being followed and they ended up running into a harlot's house by the name of Rahab. They went into this house and said, Hey, we're on the run. Can you help us? And... Sure enough, you know what she does? She hid them outside on their roof. Their house was on the outer wall of the city of Jericho. And she hid these two spies, the flax and layers of the straw on the top of the roof. And while the men came looking for him, here's this harlot saying, Did you see these men? Well, I saw them, but they want to, you know, lied to them. Here's a a harlot lying, I mean, you know, for the people of God. You may not agree with it. I don't agree with it. But there was a faith here involved that God was looking at. God wasn't looking at her action or her behavior before. She was looking at her faith. She hid these men by faith. She was a harlot, and now she lied to protect these men. Because they knew, she knew, that God was on Israel's side. And it's quite evident. And the Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 2, Joshua and the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I, I wish knew whence they came, where they were from. I don't know where they came from. And it came about the time of shutting the gate. You know, the, the men left and where they went, I don't know. But if you run after them, I'm sure you'll catch them. And then when they left, she brought these guys out from the roof in verse 6 and Hid them with the flax and all that until evening time. Verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them up on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. See her faith here? You know that God doesn't care what your background is. God doesn't care where you come from. God doesn't look at your mistakes. God doesn't look at who you were. He's looking at what you can be. Hallelujah. And it's through mercy the eyes of mercy that God was looking at Rahab and said, I can use this woman. I can change this woman. I can make her a whole lot better than she's been. And that's what he did with you and I. Hallelujah. He looked down on the ash heap of history and saw us on drugs and alcohol and all kinds of immorality. But God reached down to us and saw us who could be not who we were. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and such were some of you. But you're saved. But you're sanctified. You're justified. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord our God. And so here's this woman. And she's, she's by faith. She, she, I, I know. See that? I know that the Lord. And that he, she's using the Hebrew word for the Lord. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. And that your terror has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. That was that weakened. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt. That was 40 years ago. And now 40 years later here, they're coming to Jericho, and they fall to pieces. Why? God, we remember what happened in Egypt. And if God's on their side, and if God is in it, there's no way we can stand against this army. No matter how high our walls, no matter how strong the bricks and the stones, there's nothing we can do. And they, they were weak, and they were scared. We know what God did when you came out of Egypt, and we know what you did with the two kings of the Amorites and who were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is the God in heaven above and earth beneath. You see her recognition, her confession? Amen. Hallelujah. She wanted something better. Verse 12, now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord since I have showed you kindness. Or you can say mercy that I've showed you mercy and kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father, my mother, and my brethren, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, it shall be that when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down, by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall and she said unto them get you into the mountain lest the pursuers meet you go to verse 17 and the men said unto her we will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear behold when we come into this land thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread or cord see it was a red rope amen that he led them she led them down from her wall, from her window. It was red. It was the blood. Hallelujah. It's the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Why do I say that? Because you see in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 through 16 when you, read the, when you read about the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab is one of the women, hallelujah, who is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. From Harlot, amen, to, a, to one of the ancestors of Christ, the Messiah. And the Bible says, they let him down, and thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother, and thy brethren, all thy father's household unto thee. But don't let anybody go out. Everybody goes out the doors, they're dead. We're guiltless. Don't let them go out that door. Hallelujah. Oh, this will preach us a different message altogether. Verse 21, and she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in a window. You know, when, when it came time to march around Jericho, all the armies saw that red line coming out that window. Hallelujah. It's interesting. In Joshua chapter 6, jump ahead, when it comes time to occupy the city, in fact, they took the city, as you know, seven times around the seventh day, the walls came crumbling down. It fell straight down. They took the city, and the, all the walls fell except where Rahab's lived. You know, God knows how to do selective surgery. (laughs) He knows how to do selective surgery in your life and selective calamities, selective sicknesses, selective events in you or around you to get you where you need to be. Because he loves you. And he wants to be merciful. Now watch this. It was time to take the city. Joshua called the same two men who were the spies. He didn't give this charge to anybody, no other soldiers. He entrusted these same two men and making sure that Rahab and every household is safe. Why? Because it was their lives that were that were saved. You would have sent somebody else in there, you know. They wouldn't have thought, ah, what's the about there? They're all a bunch of Canaanites, they're all belonging to Jericho, they're all our enemy. wipe them out anyway. Some Captain Moat might have said that, feeling self-righteous. We're the children of God. hallelujah!" But you see, it wasn't them who got saved and hid, amen, among people who, who, who when they were strangers, but it was these two men. And when these two men who were leaders were sent by, by Joshua, he called them and he said, that has spied out the country. He says, go into the harlot's house. Bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel and they burnt the city with fire and all that Hallelujah verse 25 and Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho, do you understand the significance of mercy? Here were these two men of Israel when they came to Rahab's house as they had the victory of Jericho. They did not tell Rahab, you know what? You only saved two of us, and we're only going to save two of you. Oh, hallelujah. But whoever's in your house, we're we're going to let them be saved. We're going to save whoever can fill in your household. Amen. Why? Because mercy, hallelujah, when you give it, Press down, good measure, running over. Shall men get back into your bosom a whole lot more than you gave. It was not just two for two. It's two for a whole family and friends and neighbors. Oh, hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. Hallelujah. See, Rahab didn't save those spies for their sakes. She saved them for her sake. She invested in her future mercy. And because she was merciful to them, she received abundant mercy in return. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you're merciful in your present, you will receive mercy in the future. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. To his own soul. It's always more beneficial for you and I to show mercy than judgment. James 2.13 i read. I'm going to read to you the King James and the New Life, New Living Translation. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices that against judgment. James two thirteen and the New Living Translation. For there will be no mercy for you, if you have not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful. Then God's mercy told you will win out over His judgment against you. Mercy important? Yeah, you bet it is. Let's be less critical, let's be less judgmental of each other, let's extend more love and mercy to one another. Isaiah 55 7 let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. you understand? It's not just pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Whatever you need. How often. Whatever you did wrong. All the list. The whole list. All your past. He can abundantly pardon if you come to the Lord. And in closing with Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy. And find grace to help. In time of need. I don't know what you have need of today. Whether it's financial. Whether it's healing. Whether it's, it's, it's personal. But whatever it is. It's the mercy of God that will come down or reach you and accomplish whatever needs to be done. If we need healing, it's through His mercy that He heals us. If we need provision, it's through His mercy that He gives us provision. If we have some desire of a heart that is so lacking, a heart is breaking, it is the mercy of God that He will come down to us because of His love towards you and I. Mercy will keep you. Mercy will preserve you. And it's mercy that will do something great in your life. Mercy has kept in this 45 years, and whatever I have accomplished, which is very little, it's all because of the mercy of God. And whatever God will accomplish yet in your future, whatever God wants to do, I can tell you it's going to be something great. It's something bigger, something better, something greater. Than you have ever imagined, hallelujah, but it will take God's mercy, amen, in order to get there, you've got to be merciful to others, hallelujah. Why don't we just lift up our hands and worship the Lord as they sing this song about how great the mercy of God is.
1: To mind for me is immeasurable. Immeasurable. I can't tell you how much mercy God has shown me over the years. It's immeasurable. But the few times that God has required mercy of me towards somebody else, I wonder if I have meted out in the same measure that I've received mercy from Him. Everyday mercy. Everyday mercy. Mercy in the way I talk to my kids. Mercy in the way I talk to my spouse. Mercy in the way that I talk to my friends. Mercy in the way I talk to my parents. Mercy in the way that I interact with my neighbors. mercy. should be immeasurable in our lives. So I, just, I feel right now just to pray a very specific prayer that God would show us the places that need an overflow of mercy in our lives. It's easy to think about that one person that hurt you, but what about that daily pattern of life? Is mercy flowing from me every day? to the person that is difficult to work with or is hard for me to get along with or causes me pain? Is mercy immeasurable? Jesus, you're the examiner of my heart. And you've been so good to show me things in my life that need to be fixed. You work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure, and so God, I pray that you'd show me right now. Show me the places that need the mercy that flows only from your Spirit, God. The the places where my words have failed to meet that mercy out. God, show me every day, not, not just on Sunday at an altar, God, but Remind me to meet out mercy every day. In every relationship that I have. Teach me to show your mercy, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The Lord is good, and he's in this place with We have several who are still praying, and so I'm going to invite the praise team to lead us in one more chorus of this song. Don't leave here without what you need. Don't leave here unchanged. Let his mercy flow right now in Jesus' name.
2: time with our hands lifted, every eye closed. I thank you, Jesus, for this
1: word that you have preached into our hearts. I pray, God, let us be wisdom, have wisdom and understanding towards mercy as we go about this day. I pray, God, that you may continue to show us mercy as we show our brothers and our sisters and strangers and people we meet. Oh, God, I pray, let your wisdom guide us into this. I pray, God, bless your children until we meet again. Bless and anoint us and protect us on our path. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen.